businesses starting to sort of grow in this space in the middle. So these might be social enterprises, they might be B Corps, organisations showing that you can do good and be profitable at the same time. So you don't need this sort of polarity of charities doing good and raising money through philanthropy and donations and businesses raising money but not doing good. There's been an increasing number of organisations showing that this space in the middle, you can build a profitable business that is also doing good and that that's integrated into their business model, into their operating model, into their strategy is core to who they are. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you're all doing well. My guest today is Hannah Kirtland. Hannah spends her career working with companies around sustainability, and she has a lot of experience that she's going to share with us. You know, that's a topic we've talked about on this podcast before, and Hannah brings a good perspective. So I hope you're going to enjoy this. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. And where are you joining us from, if people can't guess from the accent? <laughs> Not from the US. No, so I'm yeah. in Woke. <laughs> I'm in Woking in the UK, so just about half an hour outside London, and also right on the edge of the Surrey Hills, which is a beautiful area of trees and hills and a great place to escape and get out into nature. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> no, yeah. is, is it spring there yet? It is, yeah. We've got bluebells out at the moment. Ooh, nice time to be there. Everybody yeah. pack your bags. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> well, Hannah, tell us a little bit about your journey in sustainability and, and what that means for you. So for me, sustainability is, I like to think more about impact. Well, I think they're two different things. So for me, my career has really been about impact in terms of the positive impact that I want to have on people in the world. That's one part of it. And then sustainability is, can this business, can this organization continue to be here and continue to operate in the way it is forever and ever and ever? So from that sustainability point of view, that's partly about finance. Are you financially sustainable? Are you making enough profit that you can keep investing in the company and you can still be here in a year's time, five years time? Are you innovating to remain relevant? The world's changing. Are you evolving? as the external world changes. Both of those are important to business sustainability. And then are you treating the people and the communities that you engage with in a way that they want to keep working with you? Um, there's some great examples of companies that don't, that burn bridges. And that's great while you're, the company's winning, but those people are going to stop wanting to work with you or the customers are going to leave you because you know, you've cut corners and you haven't provided great customer service, well, you're not going to be a sustainable business. You can't keep operating like that. And then in terms of the, the environment and the planet, you know, are you taking resources at a rate that the planet can't replenish them? Are you, are you producing waste that can't be dealt with? That's fine for now. You can operate like that. But in the long run, if everybody operates in a way that is not environmentally sustainable, the planet cannot continue to support that. So for me, that's sustainability. 
And then if I look at my career, I started life as an accountant. So the whole sort of financial sustainability side of things, you know, how does a business work? How do you create a business that is and a business model that is financially sustainable? And I, I quickly moved into the charity sector and I've worked within the charity sector and in four purpose businesses for the vast majority of my career. So businesses and organizations that are about impact, that are about more than profit. And so that that sort of impact piece has kind of, it's become second nature to me. You know, you're not just looking at financial sustainability, you're always considering the broader impact of any decisions you make. What's the impact on people? What's the impact on communities? What's the impact on the environment? In every single decision, understanding those impacts and making judgment calls rather than it being about profit and shareholders and stock price all the time. And now what I do is I bring all of those pieces together to say, okay, we need to operate in a sustainable way, all ticking all the boxes that I mentioned before. How can I bring together my finance experience, my charity sector impact for purpose experience? And then I didn't mention them, but my, you know, I moved from finance into project management and then into innovation. So you've got then the kind of how do you come up with new ideas and how do you actually deliver them within the business? How does that all come together to help businesses be sustainable and also tackle a lot of the challenges that arise when we start to look at sustainability? Wow. Really like that. You know, I really love the word impact. I think that that's much clearer for me, than sustainability. A lot of people are using the word sustainability and what they mean, I think, is is impact on the environment. I always thought sustainability was business sustainability, right? Is the business going to be around? That's what I learned sustainability was. And I don't know, was it, it's been fairly recent, five years where that term sustainability has been morphed a little bit to mean, you know, environmental sustainability. 15 years ago, for sure, I never heard the word used that way. Maybe it, maybe it was, and I, I just didn't know. So is it, it's the, the impact side of things. That, that feels relatively new and growing in importance. Would you say that's true? Yes, and I think it's how we look at it that changed. So when I think about the sort of traditional model, and certainly the traditional model that I've grown up with, not necessarily in history, but the traditional model of recent years, we've had the charity sector or the NGO, you know, civil society. We've had, we've had that delivering the sort of impact for good peace. We've then had the corporate sector raising money, doing business. And there's been quite a big separation between them. And in terms of businesses' impact, social environmental impact, the way they've tended to think about that is in terms of corporate social responsibility, which was often a function sort of tacked on the side. And so they might be giving money over to charities. They might be providing volunteers over to charities, but it's quite separate to the sort of core business model, the core of what the business does. And it's quite separate to their strategy. Whereas what we've seen, so that's the sort of traditional model, whereas what we've started to see in recent years, and it was happening before, but it's happening a lot more now, businesses starting to sort of grow in this space in the middle. So these might be social enterprises, they might be B Corps, organisations showing that you can do good and be profitable at the same time. So you don't need this sort of polarity of charities doing good 
and raising money through philanthropy and donations and businesses raising money but not doing good, there's been an increasing number of organisations showing that this space in the middle, you can build a profitable business that is also doing good and that that's integrated into their business model, into their operating model, into their strategy is core to who they are. So you chop that business down the middle, it has got impact running right the way through it and showing that that can also deliver a sustainable business model. What do you think is driving that that change, that desire to get in the middle? I know in some companies you see it in their annual reports. Many companies you still don't see it yet, but there's a change happening. You're right. People are – companies are starting to take this on for sure. Okay, chemical companies have been trying for years to – they've been aware of it. They've been working on it even if they publicly haven't said it. But, but it, what drives a company to move towards that center? I think there's a range of different things. So partly it's changing consumer demands. And especially as we see millennials, Gen Z, becoming consumers, being a much larger part of the market, you then got, I suppose, the digital is enabling much greater transparency about what's actually going on in companies. So suddenly you're getting stories about like what the fashion supply chain looks like, for example, or what actually happens when you, you know, mine for diamonds or whatever it is, There's these stories that are coming out around agriculture, around fashion, around manufacturing, where we're suddenly getting much greater transparency around what goes on in order to put these products into our homes. And that increased awareness is forcing consumers to start saying, wait a second, do I really want this mobile phone? when I know about the precious metals that are in there and the damage that has been done to the communities where those are being produced, for example? Do I really want this piece of clothing when I know the way in which garment workers are being treated in the factories where they're producing this and I know how much they're being paid? So I think that there's that consumer demand and that's then starting to drive regulations as well. And it's impacting where people want to work. So you've also got that piece around, actually, if you want to attract the best people to work for you and you want them to stay working for you, how you operate and your responsibilities to the environment and to all the people in the communities you operate, that's becoming more important. And again, that's, a, that, you know, that's partly a generational thing. The other thing links to sustainability. So if you operate in a short-termist way, which is what a lot of the capital markets are driving with quarterly reporting and a real focus on the stock price, that is not looking at the long-term survival of the company and it can result in some really short-term decision-making. Whereas actually, if we look at saying, do we want this business to be here in 20 or 30 years' time? If so, we need to operate in a very different way and we need to be operating in a way that is sustainable in the broadest sense, how, you know, how we treat people, how we operate within the environment, how we treat the environment, how we value that. Because otherwise, if we just keep going the way we have been going and we externalize all of the impacts that we're having, especially the negative impacts, we say, well, that's not our problem because that's not within our corporate envelope. That might be fine right now and it might help our financials right now. But there comes a point where it's not doable anymore because we've damaged all the relationships, we've tarnished our reputation, we've chopped down all the rainforest, 
we've polluted all the river. We, we can't operate like that anymore. And I think there's become an increasing awareness of that. And therefore, we're starting to see drivers from investors, more of a focus on ESG screening when in their investments and funds flows, you know, they drive change. Where the money goes, that talks. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, isn't it the truth? Yeah. And uh, where the money goes historically is the short term, the long term. There's, there's a lot of where the money goes. That's four words, but boy, they're so powerful. <laughs> and it is about it is about the strategic decisions that a company makes. And then then how do you get there, right? So so you know that you want to maybe shift your type of products, let's say, that you have. And and if you have a strategic aim, then you really have to look at your products. It's not an easy overnight shift, but strategically you've got to think about a portfolio. How do you move towards where you want to be? Are you making progress on it? If you're not treating it as an investment, as a portfolio decision, it's so easy to keep doing what you're doing, right? So when it comes down to innovation, now we're innovating, we have to strategically change the type of innovation we're, we're funding, right? Yeah, it needs to come from the top. When you look at the businesses that have done this successfully, and I mean, Interface is one of the best examples of this because they started on their transition journeys of 25 years ago. That came right from the top, from the CEO recognizing I want to do something differently. And we saw the same with Paul Polman at Unilever. Like both of those are organizations which are some way into the journey now. And it has come right from the top, from the CEO. And it's a mindset shift because it is about shifting your whole vision and purpose and values of the organization. So this so it stops it being that kind of bolt-on function on the side, whether that's an environmental sustainability function, whether it's a CSR function, it is about saying, right, this is no longer going to be a small team that is sort of bolted onto the side and peripheral to our strategy. This is about taking it and putting it right in there, in the board, and saying, this is something we are going to talk about, that we care about at board level, and we are responsible for, we're accountable for, we're going to integrate it into our objectives and we are going to embed it into the strategy and the operational, the operating model, all of our processes, all of our decision making, all of our governance, all of our investment decisions, which would include innovation. This is a whole kind of mindset culture transformation, which makes it sound terrifying. But in some ways, I think it almost can make it easier because you can start to drive the change just by a change in the leadership team. What are they talking about and how are they making decisions? That can happen. with They could do that overnight because they've read a book and they've had an epiphany and they've decided that now actually they care about this. Like Just them talking about it can start to raise consciousness and change the, the culture and the way decisions are made throughout the organization. You know, it feels to me like it's growing, but if you asked 100 companies, is this important? Is this a strategically important to the, to the degree you were saying, right? It's a strategic, everybody says, oh yeah, we do a environmental impact statement. Everybody says that, but if it's really part of the culture, right? Sustainability is part of it. And you asked a hundred companies, how many would say yes? I think we're still quite early days. So I've yeah. got this, you know, I've got a bit, I've got a big vision of how I think, I think it's the responsibility of businesses to take I think they need to take responsibility for all of the impacts that they're having and they need to make sure they're not having negative impacts. So that's one thing I believe. The other thing is that I look at the world, I look at the 17 sustainable development goals, 
we've got some big challenges. We've got some really big social and environmental challenges that we need to tackle. And I think the only way we can do that successfully is with business, because business is good at innovating. It's good at tackling problems that appear impossible, and it can create solutions that are scalable and financially sustainable. So that's my vision. And I think business is absolutely crucial to tackling challenges that we have to tackle if we want humans to thrive on earth. But coming back to your question, there are not many business leaders who are yet where where <laughs> see, seeing seeing this in the way that I see it in terms Correct. of like really integrating this into the business. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. And as you said, it's the consumer side that's going to drive it more than anything. Those businesses who don't want to take the, there's one, it's an easy out when you say, well, we don't want to take the risk of, of negative view from the consumers into social media because that, that spreads like lightning, right? A positive impact spreads, but a negative impact spreads a lot faster. So I know that some of the people are thinking about that. I think legislation is helping, but, but not globally. That's one of the challenges. There's so many countries where there's no legislation at all, but we have to start somewhere, don't we? So Europe, I think, is doing a good job. You know, we see the U.S. with its with its emission regulations, its standards, and then you see automotive companies saying, by not very far, by the year 2025, we're only going to sell electric vehicles. Now we could debate is the impacts of an electric vehicle, but it is a shift. It is a mindset that they're changing, that they're taking to try to become. More, have a better impact on the environment. So, so I think there's this legislation. Countries have a role there too that I think helps. I think the reflection I'm having as you're saying that is it's not going to be a neat planned change. So if we sat down and we said, right, we've got all the time in the world, what order do you do things in? You know, let's have our nice Gantt chart and we you know, can see a really clear roadmap <laughs> for how this is all going to happen. It's not going to be like that. We haven't got time for it to be like that. So it is going to be messy. It's going to be coming from all angles. So we've got, you know, we've got consumer demand. We've got activists out there as well, like really pushing for change. So you've got the sort of bottom up individual citizen movement side of things. We've then got regulation and, you know, that aspect, which is different in different countries. We've then got investors and you know where's the money going who you know where where are investors going to invest where are the pension funds going to be investing that's going to be providing another you know pressure from another angle and then another area that i think is really interesting is around procurement so here in the uk we're now seeing especially in public sector procurement but it's happening with big corporates as well they are making more and more requirements of their suppliers in terms of especially around net zero and them having a plan for net zero. So, you know, within the NHS in a few years time, every single business that is supplying the National Health Service here in the UK will have to have a net zero plan or be have to demonstrating annually that they're making progress against it. So that will include, you know, single person businesses working with the NHS, but right through to massive pharmaceuticals and, you know, a lot of the equipment that's used within the hospitals and within the health system here will be coming from other parts of the world. So all of a sudden, even if those other parts of the world don't have the regulations that are pushing for that sort of rapid level of change, it's going to come through 
the supply chains. So India has got a later date in terms of their ambition for getting to net zero. But there are manufacturers within India who are supplying drugs and equipment to the National Health Service here. And so they're going to have to move faster. And that will then all cascade down because they'll be looking at who's supplying them. And as, as you get all of these suppliers trickling down throughout their whole supply chain to start putting more and more demands on them, we're going to see, we're going to start to see tipping points because there's going to be this pressure from all angles such that it's going to be messy, but it's going to, I think it's going to suddenly just start to happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a fan out effect. And while we might say if ask those 100 companies how many are, are really serious, it might be a low number, it could very quickly become a significant number, couldn't it? I think so. And I think they'll, they'll see pressure from employees as well. So where I've spoken to people who are working in big corporates, especially in some of the big consultancies here, for them, a lot of the drive is coming from the fact that they need talent. They need talented people. They need to be attracting the best people. They need to be retaining them. And those people are demanding that they're doing something like they're really acting in terms of sustainability. They're operating in a different way and they're calling them out. And there's a letter, an open letter that McKinsey staff sent, oh goodness, a couple of years ago saying, why are you continuing to work with these businesses that are not acting on climate change? Really? Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, if you look at globally how much how many people are shifting and changing jobs, you know, the the opportunity to work in a fulfilling job where you say, I made a difference, we made a difference is is really impactful. And if you go to a company that's known to be a leader, you just feel better. You just say, I want to work there. A lot of people do take that approach now, especially the younger generation, as you said. Well, honey, if somebody wanted to get – when you go engage with a company and start talking to them, I mean, how do, where, where do they start? How do they get there? Is there an approach that you kind of bring or you talk to companies about? So I like to start by exploring what sustainability means to them and what their vision is for themselves as a sustainable company. Because as we talked about earlier, sustainability, I mean, it's such an overused word, just like innovation is an overused word. So <laughs> making sure that yeah. we're all on the same page. Put the two like, together. Well, yeah. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's about saying, well, what are we actually talking about? Sustainable development goals are a great place to start to sort of say, you know, which of these are relevant to your organization? Which are the ones that really chime with you and motivate you? And which ones do we want to tackle now? What are your priorities? And also have some really honest conversations around how far do you want to take this? What are your ambitions? Because some organizations, especially when they start out, it might well be about compliance and it might be about being regulator, you know, meeting the regulations. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, let's be honest about that. Other organizations may come in and say, you know, we want to you know, have this ambition to be a regenerative business, to, to be actively tackling issues that exist in the world. We want to have no negative impact ourselves. And then we actively want to be going above and beyond to really start tackling some of these problems. The roadmap that either of those organizations will create will look very different. So having that really honest conversation up front, saying what timelines are you working to? What can you commit to this? Whether that's budget, leadership, time, team, and how ambitious, how ambitious are you feeling? So we start there saying, right, what are your, what's your vision? Let's create that vision and let's create something really clear so that it's not ambiguous, so that you can motivate your employees, that everybody understands it and so everyone can get behind it. 
because that will start to drive change anyway, getting out there and saying, this is what we stand for and this is where we're heading to. The next step then is to say, okay, where are you now? What data have you already got? You know, have, you, have you done a carbon footprint analysis? Do you need to get one done? What are you producing in terms of waste? Maybe you've got data from HR or you could carry out some surveys now. There'll be lots of ideas already. There will be people on the ground in the organisation who will be interested in sustainability and they will already know where there are issues and where there are opportunities to become more sustainable because they'll be seeing it day to day. So giving them the opportunity to share all of that will start to highlight where there are opportunities, where there are issues. And you know, looking at your energy usage, looking at your financial accounts, just saying what, what data have you already got that we can use to get a real sense of what's going on here and what data is missing that you might want to gather because we could then build that into the roadmap as well. That might be something we want to do over you know, the first little bit. And that can be especially the case with suppliers. So it could take a long time to unpick your supply chain. It might be really complex. There are organisations that you know, take three years to understand their supply chain before they can even do anything to start tackling that. They take three years to really understand what's going on in terms of carbon yeah, footprint okay. in their supply chain. Yeah. So once we've got all that information, so we know where you want to get to, we know where you are now, it's then a case of saying, okay, how do we, how do we bridge that gap? And there are many things you can do and it will depend on what the vision is and it will depend on where the, organiza- you know, where the organization is now and, and what sector they're operating in. But it's about starting with some quick wins. So, I mean, I was talking about a matrix where you take potential impact along one axis and along the other axis, you've got a sort of blended metric of sort of cost, complexity, time to deliver. And so you'll have one of those boxes is going to have in it things that are going to have a big impact and are relatively easy to deliver. So like, let's crack on with those, get some quick wins grab those low hanging fruit and kind of, you know, really start to build momentum. And that can help to engage people within the business, especially those who are maybe a bit more skeptical. That change management piece is so important. A lot of those early stage wins as well will often be, there'll there'll be efficiency measures that might make financial sense as well. So that can also help to engage people, you know, the CFO, if you if you can deliver things that save money and are helpful right. to the environment, yeah. then that you know there's there's a lot of the measures that will be. So start with those, and then an area that I'm really interested in. This is me with my innovation hat on. Is that that box that is all about things that will have a big impact, and which look really hard or even impossible? Okay, so the really disruptive. Well, and they might might be hard for different reasons. They might be hard because of behavior change. Maybe you need behavior change in your customers or your consumers. And it's about saying, okay, well, let's think about that. Then how do we bring in people who are experts in human-centered design? How do we bring in behavior change experts? So an example, you know, you've talked about electric cars. So that could be an example in that space. How do we, how do we shift behavior? Or, you know, in the food space, how do we shift people away from eating as much meat and dairy? How can we do that? And that's, I think a lot of the time, that's in the behavior change space. And then there's R&D type activities. So, you know, what are those projects? How can we break them down? How can we get started? So an example I like is, again, with, with meat, you might assume that you need a living, breathing, burping, farting cow to create beef. Um, and yet as innovators, where we're great at challenging assumptions, we come in and go, well, why? What if, what if you didn't have a cow? Could you produce beef without a cow? And actually, some super clever scientists have done that, and they're now producing beef 
in a lab, which is made, it is beef. It tastes like beef. It is beef. It's just not coming from a cow. It's being made in a, in a lab. And so the environmental footprint of that is much less. And now they're just looking at, well, how do you scale that? And how do you produce it in a profitable way? And how do the regulations need to change to enable that food? And, you know, there will be problems like that one. And it's how, how do you start that? How do you and how do you use the innovation skills that we've all got to go in and break that down and try and identify what are those assumptions that look like, you know, they, they, well, they just have to be true. Well, but why? And if, if, if they weren't true, what would that mean? How could how could we tackle this? What are our options? Yes, exactly. Right. And there there are a lot of companies, either big companies and small companies that that are looking for those kind of breakthrough innovations for sure. When somebody says can't do that, you can't make meat without a cow. Well, are you sure? Right. So there's a lot of a lot of people will challenge that and work on it. it might take 10, 20 years. Right. But they're going to work on it. And we have to work on those things. And that's where I think innovation is so crucial because we can't just accept that things are impossible. Um, and this is where the optimist in me shines through. But, I like, you know, it might take years. It might take years and years to tackle the problem. But I don't think many things are impossible. If you, you know, if, if we put the right people on it and we take the right approach I think we can get solutions to a lot of these problems. You've used the words with me, a five-step approach. And I was trying to count those as you were going through, because I think you were going through some of those steps. But if you, what would that five-step approach be? Yeah, I got distracted halfway by innovation. I did. I took you off I get too excited by it. (laughs) (laughs) So the first step is that vision step we talked about. The second step is the getting the metrics to say, well, where are we now? The third step is then developing the plan. How do we bridge the gap? And there's lots of different things that come in there that we could talk about if you wanted to. The fourth step is then delivering that plan and recognizing that it's not all going to go to plan. So this is an ever-changing space. We don't know what's going to work. We don't know what's not going to work. We can have a good idea, but the regulations are changing. The market's changing. New technologies are coming on all the time. You know, Competitors bringing out different products, you know, there's, there's stuff is changing. So we start to deliver, we overcome the bumps along the way, but we equally say, okay, let's regularly keep monitoring what's going on, what's changed, how are we doing, how are we progressing against our targets that we've set for ourselves? How have we shifted against those initial baseline metrics that we sent? And then we do that evaluation and we loop back around and we say, okay, let's replan. Now let's deliver again. So it's very much a kind of agile methodology to say, we need to keep iterating. We're going to go round and round and round, but it's it's a journey. So it, you're not going to develop a plan that you say, this is going to take us three years. Once we've done the three years, we're done, we're sustainable, off we go. It's it's a mindset, which I think goes back to integrating it into the culture and the strategy. This is going to be a journey that you start on. You do the things that make sense now, and then you keep iterating back to say, okay, what do we do next? Because also your competitors are going to keep moving the bar and regulators are going to keep moving the bar and investors are going to keep moving the bar. And we're all going to keep learning more and more what, what good looks like. I think if you ignore it, uh, ignore it at your own peril, because the moment somebody else figures it out and you weren't part of it, you know, that's a serious business impact on your own companies. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the world is changing and the businesses that get ahead of the curve and spot the, you know, there are huge opportunities that exist, but businesses that get ahead of the curve and spot those opportunities and grab hold of them and tackle those impossible things, they're going to be the leaders. And the ones that don't are going to get left behind. That's right. 
Well, Hannah, thanks for joining us. It's, you know, we could talk about this for for hours. There's so many aspects we just in this time we didn't have have a chance to uh, to uncover. Maybe maybe we get you back uh, and, and kind of talk about some other aspects to it. But you know, is there a final uh, point you'd like to make or comment you'd like to make to our listeners before we uh, close up? Oh goodness. <laughs> so many things I could say. Um, one of the yeah. things I'm one of the things I'm interested in is it's around the behavior change piece. If we want to if we want to achieve a real shift in the impact that we as society are having, then we need people's behaviors to change en masse. And for that to happen, we need doing good to be the default. So you walk into a supermarket and you don't have to think about what you're buying because you just know that everything that's in there has been screened already and is going to do good. Or you walk into a clothing store or you go and shop on Amazon and you just know that you can't do bad because all the work's been done for you. And, you know, the default is, is good. And at the moment, it's the opposite way around. The moment people like me are there reading labels and online doing research to try and find out which of the brands to buy from. And the only way I, th I mean, yes, regulation can help, but the reality is if we are going to make sure that consumers don't have to do the work, they can be lazy and they just know that you don't have to work hard to make the right choice, the organizations that are going to enable that are businesses. And so I think businesses play a huge role in enabling this shift in consumer behavior by making sure that doing good is the default. It's a great way to great way to sum it up. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, um, Anna, it was a really pleasure talking to you today. And, and uh, you know, I know I personally want to see you be wildly successful because if you're successful, oh, thank you. then uh, then we're all successful. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. It's been absolutely fantastic having a chat with you. So, yeah, thank you for having me on. Great. And to the people that are listening, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, boy, how do I get started? Or, or you like what you're hearing? Give Hannah a call and her contact. Oh, Hannah, that's a question I should ask. How do people follow you? How do they kind of stay in touch and follow what you're doing? So the best way to to follow me is to follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most active, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So yeah, if people want to get in touch, then LinkedIn's the best way to do that. Good. And we'll, we'll, put, we'll put links in the show notes. So check that out and do give Hannah a call. She's a consultant. She can help you Think about this from all of those dimensions, all of those angles that she spoke about today. Help you build that, that map to where you want to go. Thanks for joining us today. Glad you could listen in to all our listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I certainly did. And uh, hope you have a great week ahead. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.